Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Here's a tip, though. If someone is telepathically communicating to you that they want to be murdered, uh, maybe get verbal confirmation. Yeah, ask. There should always be a, a murder safe word. Yes. <laughs> if you don't want to be killed right now, say banana. <laughs> I'm going to try that. Like, if they're coming at me with the knife, just red light! <laughs> Duncan. Yo! How you been? You know, the usual, still surviving COVID, still just doing my thing. I'm hoping we're winding down to the end of this thing. Dude, I'm way less optimistic than you. I hope we're coming to the middle of this bitch. Man, say I'm optimistic, I'm just hoping. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I thought that was optimism, but whatever. No, optimism is believing. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I don't have any faith that we are. I didn't say it was realistic. Word. So this episode was suggested by June from Instagram. Yoon, how are you? Thank you. She also hosts a podcast called Murder Mysteries and Meows, and she posts pictures of her very cute cats. I bond with our listeners over cat fandom. That's... I know. <laughs> you have dogs. You wouldn't understand. I have dog I want another dog Really? But I loved cats. Yeah, remember I've told you I want a Boston Terrier, and it'll be black and white, and I will call him Foo, so that I can yell out the, you know, my front door, where are you at, Foo? And he, he will come running. It's the simple things. It is. And I'm one of the simple things. <laughs> I like dogs. I like spending time with dogs. They smell. Mm. They all smell. I know the dog all, owners all think that they don't. All pets smell. They don't. Cats they don't do. smell. They do. They don't. They do. My cat does not smell. Not only that, my cat is indoor-outdoor, so she does not use a litter box. Yeah. She uses the world is her litter box. <laughs> she craps in your yard and... <laughs> Not my yard. That'd be a mission. Everyone else's. Everyone I feel else's. like she gets around. This cat, I guarantee she has spread it far and wide. That's probably absolutely true. But uh, I prefer cats. I like dogs. I like spending time with other people's dogs for like, you know, 10 minutes to hmm. just, oh, you're so cute and rub their belly and all that. And then I go wash my hands because they stink. And then I go back to an animal that actually has some dignity. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I was a cat person before my wife had a dog and it is now my dog. That's true. It wasn't your choice. No. And you had Lucifer before, right? I did. That was a cool cat. Yes. So June recommended this episode, and it makes sense because she does a true crime podcast. Yeah. And I thought it would be fun to dip our toes into just an episode of true crime. We Sweet. haven't really done that before. No. And we live in a very, very historic location when it comes to murder. Kemper! Mm. I think you were uh, coughing Kemper. Was that correct? Mm. Not just Kemper. No. So first, a little background. Santa Cruz, where we live, is both a county and a city, but the area that is considered Santa Cruz includes the city of Santa Cruz itself and then a few tiny nearby towns that are clustered together. You live in Santa Cruz proper. I live in one of the little towns right outside. Right. I actually technically live in Santa Cruz ghetto, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be more specific. More specific. There are also little communities spread among the hills above the more densely populated urban areas, and those hill communities are a mix of off-the-grid, rustic, hippie encampments and upscale mini-mansions. Right. Somewhere between mini-mansions and meth-mouth. Mm-hmm. 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 So in the 70s, Santa Cruz earned the nickname Murdersville, USA. I seem to recall something about this, yes. Because there were multiple serial killers active at the same time, which is crazy, again, for such a tiny place. We had two serial killers just slaughtering everyone. Right. 
So the Santa Cruz nightmare yes. began on the night of October 19th, 1970, hmm. when firefighters responded to a flaming mansion in the hills of Soquel, California, maybe eight minutes from this podcast studio. Hmm. The building was a Japanese architecture-inspired mansion owned by an eye surgeon, Dr. Victor Ota. As firefighters searched in the dark for a water source to connect their hoses, one fire chief ventured into the backyard and noticed shadowy figures floating in the pool. His flashlight beam revealed the owner of the house, bound with bright scarves, dark blood billowing, and next to him, another body, this one female, similarly bound, and then another, and then two smaller bodies. The victims would be identified as Victor, his wife, his secretary, and tragically, his two young sons, aged 11 and 12. Fuck. Under the windshield wiper of his car was a cryptic note covered with scrawled tarot symbols and a furious screed condemning, quote, people who misuse the natural environment. Okay. So you know how people get murdered and then police arrest a suspect and all the neighbors are always like, I would never have suspected. He seemed like such a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't happen. Oh, Oh, okay. Immediately, all of the neighbors implicated a local hermit-like hippie recluse named John Lindley Frazier. Frazier. Maybe Frazier. 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 <laughs> John Lily Frazier, he uh, murdered people. He's very not nice man, and he smelled bad. You would think that I would have looked up how to pronounce... The thing is... No, I wouldn't have. The, <laughs> this guy actually, even though this kicked off the whole thing... Right. Uh, this guy was not one of the serial killers. This was just a one-off instance of mass murder, and the perpetrator was quickly caught. But this would be the inception point. It would mark the beginning of the era of Murdersville, USA. So John Lindley Frazier was the obvious suspect. Hmm. A native of nearby Hayward, California, Frazier had relocated to a tiny shack barely half a mile from the Ota mansion. There he obsessively studied his Bible and communed with God, who, despite being all-powerful and having the ability to send plagues and floods and archangels to punish sinners, had apparently commanded a lone, unwashed weirdo to execute a local family mafia style in order to protect the environment. God works in mysterious ways. Sure. Frazier was arrested four days after the massacre, and Santa Cruzans breathed a collective sigh of relief. (sighs) And everyone lived happily ever after. End of episode. (laughs) And as ever, and as always, never mind. So I think it would be helpful to zoom out and get some context. Yes. The mass murder at the Otah Mansion occurred at the end of 1970 and put the entire community on edge. But the arrest of the perpetrators and the subsequent months of calm lulled Santa Cruz into a false sense of security. A sense of security that would be shattered just over a year later with the brutal murder of two Bay Area co-eds in May 1972. This would prove to be just the beginning. The murder of Marianne Pessy and Anita Mary Lucesa would turn out to be only the first tumblings of a barreling snowball that would gather into an avalanche of panic as bodies piled up and the Santa Cruz police desperately tried to connect a series of grisly dots that eventually proved to be the work of multiple simultaneous serial killers. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to imagine what it would have been like to live through that. Gun sales shot up by 300 to 500%. People slept with guns. Uh, they invested heavily in home security. The only thing they didn't do was stop hitchhiking. That was one thing that always stood out to me was, okay, all of these body dumps seem to be near roadways. Maybe stay away from hitchhiking. So let's start with the lesser known of the Santa Cruz serial killers, Herbert Mullen, Mm. who actually had a larger body count, but his crimes were slightly less sensational. He gets less hype. Let that be a lesson, burgeoning serial killers. Murder big, murder splashy. 
Yeah, it really comes down to technique. Mm. You know, it's not the motion of the ocean, whatever. It's not the size that of your kill count that matters. It's the motion of your knifing. Yeah. You you clearly didn't think this metaphor through. <laughs> not, I'm abandoning ship on this. Okay, good. But that is what makes Kemper more fascinating. Yeah. Is that he was a stone cold psychopath who really seemed to get off on it. He definitely got off on it. Like literally. Yeah. Whereas Mullen was just a really disturbed individual who thought he was, like, helping the world. He was a crazy person. Kemper was an evil person. Right. 41 years to the day after the giant earthquake that leveled San Francisco in 1906, Herbert William Mullen was born near Santa Cruz on April 18, 1947. And as it turned out, earthquakes would figure prominently in his paranoid delusions. Hmm. Unlike the stereotypical serial killer, he wasn't traumatized as a child, he wasn't a loner or an outcast, and he didn't show any of the other classic traits of a sociopath. He didn't torture animals, he didn't lack empathy, he didn't park his car halfway over the lines in parking lots, taking up two spaces. I think that's serial killer behavior. Definitely narcissistic, if not sociopathic, definitely. I'm with you. Bastards. Ugh. He was a happy, popular kid. And a teenager as well. In fact, he was voted most likely to succeed in high school. And if your definition of success includes successfully killing a ton of people, he was indeed the most successful. Fully called it. Good job, high school. So when Herbert turned 16, his entire demeanor shifted. Hmm. One of his good friends was killed in a car crash, and it either contributed to or coincided with his mental decline. Probably both. Hmm. In his bedroom, he built a shrine to his friend, And simultaneously, he began obsessing over homosexual fantasies. His father was a strict disciplinarian and a World War II veteran. If Herbert had come out of the closet, his father would no doubt have lovingly embraced his son, reassured Herbert that sexuality is genetically determined, that no one chooses to be gay or straight, and that no matter how repressive and judgmental America was in the 1970s, that he would always have his son's back. Or not. Or that's all complete nonsense. Yeah, I'm guessing Herbert was terrified of his father finding out Hmm. and probably experienced some intense guilt and self-hatred. It turns out his dad was kind of a jerk, and all of this only contributed to his mental decline. Hmm. To escape from the persistent shame and fantasies, he turned to drugs at age 19, mostly psychedelics. Not a brilliant idea if your sanity is tenuous. Yeah, yeah, especially around your later teen years, because that's when schizophrenia strikes. And later he would be diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. At age 21, in the season of love, 1969, Herbert's psychosis became apparent and undeniable, and to his credit, he did seek help. Wow. With the support of his family, he voluntarily committed himself to a mental institution, but it did not slow his decline. Soon he was bouncing around from institution to institution. He was self-harming, burning himself with cigarettes, and raving at invisible enemies. He seems to have experienced stretches of clarity, during one of which he enlisted the Marines. And they accepted? It didn't work out. I was going to say. For some reason. (laughs) It's so weird. It's hard to complete an obstacle course when you're yelling at a drill sergeant that isn't there. So he also attempted to become a hippie, but was rejected from an art collective in San Francisco. Dick-ass hippies. That is a strange mix of ambitions. <laughs> I want to go to war and shoot lots of people or smoke weed and paint. I mean, I think it's kind of indicative further helping the diagnosis of schizophrenia. True. <laughs> Marine, hippie, Marine, art collective. Like, what? No. I didn't even know you could get rejected from a hippie collective. 
It's the, was there an application? List five references of previous drug dealers. We, we will be contacting them. <laughs> Herbert moved back in with his parents in the year 1972 at age 25. It was at this point that two things happened simultaneously. First, a mathematician predicted that a massive earthquake was going to hit California the following year. And second, Herbert began hearing voices in his head explaining to him that the only thing that could avert the coming earthquake was human sacrifice. So clearly a Mayan or Aztec voice. This is actually very sound scientifically. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. Seismology is a slaughter-based field of study. Both S's. 1972 was the era of Vietnam, and Herbert believed that the casualties of the war had been providing the necessary human sacrifices and staving off disaster. But the Vietnam War, which would end in 1975, was already winding down. Herbert decided it was up to him to pick up the slack. He later explained, quote, We human beings, through the history of the world, have protected our continents from cataclysmic earthquakes by murder. In other words, a minor natural disaster avoids a major natural disaster. Hmm. Is that how he's classifying himself as a minor natural disaster? Because, I mean, fair, but still. Why did he? I don't get why he connected murder and earthquakes. I mean, <laughs> are you really going to try and pick apart a schizophrenic's logic? I've tried this. It doesn't work well. It's always something. It's never like, why can't it just be like volunteering at homeless shelters helps prevent earthquakes? Or, you know, the, the number of mosquitoes I eat. Yeah. Or just spinning around in a circle three times. Spinning around in a circle would be OCD. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be schizophrenia. You can have both. Eh, that's fair. They're not mutually exclusive. He said, looking at me meaningfully, what are you trying to out yourself for, Trust sir? Trust me, you can have multiple psychological issues. Just throwing that out there. Because of his birthday coinciding with the great 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, he felt he had been chosen, that it was his destiny and responsibility to save Californians by murdering Californians. Again, the logic is unassailable. Interestingly, Santa Cruz would be the epicenter of the massive 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake, so, you know, who knows? So, good job, jackass. You had one job. Maybe, you know, if only he'd killed a few more people. I mean... I blame the cops. Yeah, yeah. Or him for getting caught. You know, it's one or the other. Yeah. His first murder took place on October 13th, 1972, when Santa Cruz was already enduring the reign of terror of our other subject of this episode, Ed Kemper. Herbert Mullen encountered a transient hitchhiker named Lawrence White on the side of the road. Later, he would explain that he believed Lawrence White was the biblical figure Jonah, who had telepathically sent Herbert a message saying, quote, pick me up and throw me over the boat. Kill me so that others will be saved. This was obviously referring to the Jonah story from the Bible, mm -hmm. except apparently instead of asking to be tossed overboard as a sacrifice to avert a storm, like the biblical Jonah, this modern Jonah wanted to be bludgeoned on the side of a highway with a baseball bat. I mean, you hear boat, I hear bat. It's really all in how you pronounce it. Doesn't have quite the same narrative flair. But all right. Whatever gets the job done. Seriously. Herbert asked Lawrence to take a look at his car engine. And then when Lawrence leaned over. Yeah. 11 days later, Herbert murdered another hitchhiker, a college student from Cabrillo Junior College in Aptos named Mary Gilfoyle. Cabrillo is a short walk from this studio. Indeed. This time he stabbed his victim and spread her remains all over the side of the road. He, he stabbed her or dismembered her? Bit of both? A and then B. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Yeah. 
That's the key to successful earthquake avoidance. He's starting to figure Coverage. out. You can't just whack people with bats. Right. The killing, that's step one. God isn't really satisfied unless you chop up the victim and spread it about. I disperse mean, them. Yes. I mean, you can't see it from the sky unless you cover a certain amount of acreage. Right. Yeah. Approximately a month after murdering Mary Guilfoyle, on November 2nd, Herbert began suffering from intense guilt. Weird. Killing people could do that to you, I guess. I, mean, I never tried, so. A lifelong Catholic, Herbert decided to confess. He made his way to St. Mary's Church, just over the hill from here in Los Gatos. Hmm. During the confession, Herbert began to suspect that the priest, much like Lawrence White, secretly desired to sacrifice himself. <laughs> so convenient that all these people wanted to die, and that all of them had the gift of telepathy, so that they could silently communicate their suicidal impulses. If you're ever wondering why there's such a dearth of actual psychic activity or capability in the greater Bay Area, it's this dude running around wiping out empaths and psychics. Yeah. He cleared all of the telepathy from the gene pool. Yeah. Jerk. Dick. Here's a tip, though. If someone is telepathically communicating to you that they want to be murdered, uh, maybe get verbal confirmation. Yeah, ask. It's It's sort of like, you know, when you think you're getting consent from a girl... It's better to ask and not be a date rapist. There should always be a, a murder safe word. Yes. <laughs> if you don't want to be killed right now, say banana. <laughs> it's too many syllables. I'm going to try that. Like, if they're coming at me with the knife, just red light! <laughs> so Herbert beat and stabbed to death Father Henry Tomei right there in the confessional, inside the church, in front of witnesses. Well, I mean, what were you supposed to do? Wait? Do it later? Who has that amount of time? He was asking for it. Uh, literally. <laughs> that is the ultimate victim blaming. Seriously. <laughs> I feel like his confession was counterproductive. Seriously. I that... feel like this could not have helped his guilt. <laughs> Although, I do feel as though everything that he does is really contributing to this, you know, insanity plea. He's <laughs> building that insanity plea as he lived. He was campaigning. For... Word. Yeah. I don't know. Confessing is supposed to be cathartic. Yeah. How cathartic can it be to confess to violent assault while you're committing a violent assault? Forgive me, Father, for I am sinning. Stop moving. For, forgive me, Father, for I am sinning. <laughs> like, this is like confessing to the sin of masturbation while masturbating in the confessional. I mean, I feel like then there would just be two of you doing it. <laughs> uh, straight up. So the experience certainly seemed to make some kind of an impression because Herbert was then inspired to take a break from killing and join the Marines. Again? Yeah, he wanted to quit killing as a hobby and make it a profession. I support his urge to better himself professionally. He passed his entrance exams and his psychological evaluation. In the end, the deal breaker, the reason that he finally was rejected, was because the military discovered that he had taken drugs. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, was the issue. That's the line. Right. So Herbert was pretty peeved about the rejection, and naturally he blamed his weed dealer. Uh, who else are you going to blame? Not your own choice, but the person who sold you your choice. The weed dealer was an old high school buddy named Jim Gianera, who, unbeknownst to Herbert, had recently moved. I'm using his first name. A lot of times with serial killers use their last name, mm. but I feel like that's too respectful. It's like Mr. So-and-so. I'm just calling him Herbert. Just fuck that guy. Yeah. With Kemper, we'll probably call him Kemper just because that's what everybody does and just so they know. But you don't know who this guy is anyway. Nobody knows about Herbert Mullen, so I'm just calling him Herbert. So Jim Gianera had recently moved. Herbert didn't know that. So when he showed up at Gianera's house, he encountered the new occupant, Kathy Francis, 
who gave him Gianera's new address. Hello, paranoid schizophrenic on my front doorstep. Would you like the person who used to live here's address? Yeah, this is why you don't give personal info of anyone. Of anyone ever. So Gianera's new home was back in Santa Cruz proper. Herbert showed up there and promptly shot Gianera and his wife and then stabbed them. This feels redundant to me. Kind of a strange order of operations, <laughs> but sure. Sure. Seems like the literal definition of overkill. Yeah. Herbert then did something interesting. Then. <laughs> I don't feel you've been reading your own research as you've been talking it out loud. Maybe interesting isn't the right word for what he did next. He went back to the house now occupied by Kathy Francis and slaughtered her and her two young sons. So, yeah, interesting, maybe not the best word, but the reason I said interesting is because the most likely reason for him to kill Mrs. Francis was to eliminate a witness. So it does indicate some ordered thinking. That would become a big deal in the trial because if Herbert killed Francis to cover his ass, that would point to a calculating motive and it would make it easier for a jury to reject any insanity defense. Right. Without getting too neckbeardy, schizophrenics do show ordered thinking now and again, just like OCD people can get shit done now and again. And also, we don't know why he did it. We no. don't know that he did it to cover his ass. He could have been the entire time he was driving around, he was receiving telepathic communications from her, requesting to die, and he didn't want to leave anyone out. He didn't want to discriminate. Yeah. You know, yeah, I understand. Um, I also love how you say he did something interesting. What is with you in understating everything? You're like, it was a mishap and interesting. And <laughs> the murdering was not what I was referring to. I was referring to the motive for the murdering being um, interesting. Mm. However, I see your point. <laughs> All kinds of mishaps in this episode. Stabby mishaps. There were shooty mishaps. There were batty mishaps? There, what would you call that? Bludgeony mishaps? Mm -hmm. mm. There were dismembery mishaps. And it was all one big shenanigan. That was interesting. <laughs> On February 10th, approximately a month after the Francis and Gianera murders, Herbert killed four teenage boys in Henry Cowell State Park. E. They were camping. That also is very near us. Mm -hmm. Three days later, he committed his 13th and final murder, a completely random homicide in broad daylight. Hmm. He was driving on the west side of Santa Cruz when he spotted a guy named Fred Perez, who was weeding his lawn. Herbert made a U-turn, got out of his car, sighted through his rifle over the car's hood, and calmly pulled the trigger in front of multiple witnesses. God damn. Again, insanity plea looking pretty good. <laughs> Stand right there, sir. No, I'm not taking your picture. When someone telepathically requests to die, there's no time to waste. Yeah, there's no, there's no waiting list. And you, you know, everyone should understand. Didn't they hear this man crying out to be shot in broad daylight? <laughs> Come on. You all heard him. He wanted to die. I call his witnesses, all of the witnesses. <laughs> that witnessed me murdering this man. No one else heard the, the him asking to be shot as I drove by? No one? None? Liars! Of, and also, like, I just can't imagine seeing that. Just, you know, I was, there, I was looking forward to watching Hill Street Blues tonight or whatever the on TV in the 1970s. But now I'm just going to curl up in a ball and sob. There are victims of these murders that are not just the person who gets murdered. Everyone right. is fucking traumatized now because this guy is crazy. Yeah, because PTSD is a real thing. I'm kind of glad that I, I've never seen something like that because I'm the dumb shit that would actually move towards the guy. I was like, that guy's pulling a rifle and like run towards him because I'm stupid and have no sense of self-preservation. Why would you run towards Like to take the rifle? Or something. Like it, it wouldn't be a cognitive, a real good cognitive thought. It was just like, stop that. 
I like how you're just like, I, I'm pretty sure I would act heroically. Through That's the... not heroically. <laughs> he still has a loaded gun. I would dive under the nearest car and <laughs> thank God for cell phones. I would dial 911. Yeah. Thus being a hero. <laughs> I might like throw a rock at him or something. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but I would throw the rock near him to mm. distract him. Yes. Not trying to hit him with the rock because then he might shoot me. Right. He won't see the rock flying or bouncing off his car and be like, who just threw a rock at my car? And then I would just point at the guy next to me. <laughs> so I have Less no, heroic by the second. I have no hero impulse. None. No. None. I am not trying to cultivate one. No. It's my long-term strategy yeah. not to be a hero. Yeah. Yeah. It's worked out well so far. <laughs> You're killing it. I'm living it. Touche. And not dying from it. That's the whole point. Fair enough. So the witnesses reported Herbert's license number, and he was apprehended on Highway 9 without incident. Which seems odd. Not one of the cops wanted to die for the good of humanity? Yeah, I guess, you know, they were telepathically telling him his time was up. I feel like once you're shooting people in broad daylight and killing people in churches with everyone watching, there's part of him that I think wanted to get caught Mm. at that point. Because I think that he had convinced himself that he had to do this to save humanity, but it probably was also weighing on him. Thus, the attempted (laughs) confession. Mm. He was feeling guilt, but he felt compelled. And so I think he wanted to be taken down. And then it would that would help with the guilt because it's like it's not his fault that he had to stop killing. He's in jail now. Right. Right. I think there was a tug of war in his brain. Dueling impulses, as it were. Yeah. Herbert Mullen would later point out that there were no earthquakes during his murder spree, which is true. Once again, insomniacs the world over, correlation is not causation. Here's something interesting. We started this podcast in December of last year. Yeah. And since then, there have been zero alien invasions. That we know about. Not a single one. Could be a coincidence. If this podcast ends, there are no guarantees. (laughs) Won't be our fault, damn it. Of course, eight days after Herbert's arrest, a magnitude 5.8 earthquake hit Southern California because the universe has a sense of humor. Herbert Mullen was sentenced to life in jail and is currently incarcerated in California's Mule Creek State Prison. Hmm. Mullen is at Mule. Mullen is at Mule. Hmm. Yep. We got a Mullen and a Mule. I'll take a mulligan. (laughs) Moving on. So as we discussed, while Herbert Mullen was slaughtering priests and co-eds and drug dealers, and the bodies of his victims were popping up all over Santa Cruz, police were also contending with the handiwork of another much more terrifying, disturbed, and calculating killer. Not to mention fucking huge. Back in the 1970s, before DNA evidence and cell phone GPS coordinates and surveillance cameras on every street corner, it was tough enough to catch one murderer, but multiple prolific serial killers operating simultaneously in a small area proved to be utterly confounding for the overmatched and understaffed Santa Cruz Police Department. And I, despite giving them a hard time, I do have a ton of sympathy for these guys. It must have been absolutely bewildering. The bodies are piling up, but the evidence isn't consistent. There's no hint of a motive. Is it the work of one superhuman killer who's smart enough to change up his techniques all the time? Is it multiple killers working together? Is it a random plague of unconnected killings? And that's the thing about killings by genuine psychopaths. They often don't add up because there's no rational motive. Right. It's not like she cheated on me and I killed her and then I had to kill the witness or whatever. There's no A, B, C connecting the dots. 
Right. Or when you do find out the ABCs, you're like, okay, I guess that makes sense if you see it from his perspective. Right. Otherwise, it's just like, uh, that's just batshit. Yeah. Once you understand the logic of the telepathy, then, of course, it all falls into place. <laughs> you know, just look at Mullen's victims. There was like a transient guy, a co-ed, a priest, a bunch of teenagers, a drug dealer and his wife and then a random family. And those are just the victims of one of these killers. Right. Meanwhile, crazy ass Ed Kemper is fucking corpses and eating people. All over the place. It's madness in the realest sense. Right. And we will get to all of that in the follow-up episode, part two. Part two of holy shit, why move to Santa Cruz? No, seriously, stay away. It's too many people here anyway. (laughs) Fuck that. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to encourage another (laughs) serial killer, but uh, I really do want people to stay away. (laughs) I would encourage, you know, telling the story of the last ones. I won't uh, groom a serial killer, but I might join his Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Look, hacksaws don't come free, okay? They don't grow from trees. You need them. I'll just provide moral support. support. (laughs) Immoral support. Immoral support. Nice. I like it. It's cool. So we're just dipping our toes into the true crime genre for the hell of it. It's, It's so hot right now. True crime. So hot right now. Yeah, I mean, we've done every fucking thing else. Why wouldn't we do this? It would be weird if we didn't. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into a lot of serial killers. It just doesn't interest me as much as it interests other people. I think if you're a real serial killer enthusiast, then you have a lot of to impart here and maybe some perspective. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Holy shit. What the fuck? Like, that's all I've got. It's my only input. My side of it is uh, all I have is the psychology behind it, and I, I have to really stop myself from becoming a neckbeard and just being like, um, and you know, and you see, and actually. I know. I didn't hear, like, one actually from you this episode. Mm-mm. I was so proud of you. All right. So, boys and girls, ladies and insomniacs, uh, as per usual, please tell a friend, first and foremost. Tied with first and foremost would be second most and foremost would be uh, reviewing. Uh, review it on all the places where all the things happen. And finally, merch. What? You're the English major. I was a psych major. Anyway, um, please uh, go out there, rate, rep, and view, as I always say. I'm just going to say it again because I recently lost mine. We have uh, COVID masks on our merch website. So go out there. They're super cheap, and they're a great way to, to rep the show. And as always, end forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.